0: sound world All right. <laughs> Let me see if I can... in 1996 when I flew into Bosnia I flew into Federation territory I helped set up the morgue in a place called Kalesia, which is not far from Tuzla. And the actual exhumations were going on in Eastern Bosnia in the Serb entity. And that's where, you know, that's where the graves were. That's where the exhumation work was being done. Eastern Bosnia in the summertime is extremely green. It's a very beautiful place. It's very hot. It's very rural. The interesting thing is that a year later, all the lines of battle and fighting, they'd all been blurred a little bit because in in a year, undergrowth had grown back, greenery had overgrown many things, including the graves where we were working. in autopsies in the Tuzla morgue. My job depended on how decomposed the bodies were. (sighs) Let me just back up just a little bit and think. I've got Jesus of 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 red, fast the blink of an eye the company of the beginning of the big the thing the blackest gray with from I'd set up showers at the morgue. There was something euphoric about taking a shower at the end of a day like that, about just making oneself clean again. I think every time I stepped into the showers, I viewed them as decontamination chambers and something that would enable me to keep that work behind me, that I would leave it there, that every bit of it would be left behind and I wouldn't carry, I wouldn't carry the harmful bits out with me. So, yeah, anyway, so where was I? I was telling you about, I've forgotten. My Aunt Ljubica was my grandmother's younger sister. When I knew her, she was already quite elderly very sad, very bitter about the hand that she'd been dealt by life. When she was younger, she had been married to Ante Mamic, who was a high-ranking military officer in the NDH, in the NDH, the independent state of Croatia, and who was very much a fascist. I know almost nothing about his personality other than what my dad has said. And from what I understand, he was a very tough, quite a harsh person, and, yeah, and, and he was a war criminal in the Second World War. My aunt loved him desperately, wanted desperately to have children with him, but they didn't. And he died at the end of the war. They never found, they never found his body. I don't. We don't know where he's buried. We don't know anything about that. She never received any official word that he had been killed. But she knew when he didn't come home, that he would not be coming home. And she, um, she just basically gave up on life. her flowers my aunts only ever got flowers when they went to visit the cemetery to leave flowers on graves but they never had flowers just cut flowers at home and i thought for once you know my aunts should have flowers in the apartment i'll never forget the way she looked at it held it at a distance to her kind of shook her head Handed it to my Aunt Katya and said, Take that to the grave tomorrow. Stop. She had a massive stroke. She was no longer able to walk or speak or feed herself or even get up from her bed. I remember going to visit her in the hospital right after she had her stroke and the disgusted way she shook her head at all of us. Like, why did you bring me back? You should have just let me go. When she came home a few weeks later, she couldn't talk. She couldn't. She couldn't do anything. She just lay there. You know, my my aunts would feed her and care for her, and and all of those things. The nurse would come to check in on her. After the stroke, there was one thing she kept saying over and over again. She kept saying "nosinich," and nobody could understand what she meant. And basically, roughly translated it sort of carry like them. carry them carry them carry them and she repeated this again and again and again carry them. she said this for 3 years and we never understood what what she meant by it she never said anything else the only thing she said was nosinik nosinik carry them carry them carry them time I called my parents was when we went to an S4 base to pick up water and supplies. And I spoke to my father for a very short time. He didn't suspect, you know, he, I thought there must surely be something about my voice or about the things that I'm saying. And he has no, you know, no idea. And and I felt tremendously guilty about that, actually. I felt tremendously guilty about the whole thing, about going without telling him what I was doing. My father was 11 when the Germans took over Sarajevo, and my uncle would have been eight or nine. So he was very young. In the early days, they didn't know where people were going, where they were being taken, but they knew that it wouldn't be good. My father knew never to talk about the fact that Yosef was hiding in their apartment. This was a, a subject matter that absolutely could not be discussed. My father and uncle, they grew up going to see westerns and adventure films in the cinema. And so they had these ideas of swashbuckling escapes and and cheating death. They had plotted out an escape route for Yosef in the event that the police came. And Yosef would throw the rope over the side of the balcony and he would shimmy down and he would escape into the night like like any good hero. And that didn't happen. And when the police came to arrest him, my uncle begged him to go to the balcony and jump over. And he completely froze. talks about Yosef, it's with such a mix of you know of pain and love and a lingering jealousy of this man who you know stole his mother's heart and also this tremendous child's disappointment that it couldn't be like in a film. Uh, okay now let me reconstruct that scene for you. One more time. This is what happened. You've been listening to part two of Remnants. Part three is up next.